0: Okay, I'm Don, compulsive overeater. Um, I cannot remember a time in my life when I wasn't a compulsive overeater. I've seen pictures of myself as a kid when I was maybe four or five years old, and I was really thin, and you could see my ribs, and I haven't seen them since. Uh, I always knew I had a different relationship to food than my friends. It was embarrassing, and I couldn't do anything about it. Um, I would be sitting around at a a lunch or a dinner and I would have finished my food very quickly because I'm a fast eater and looking at their plates and I would notice them doing weird things like leaving food on the plate or uh, and I was just couldn't stop staring at it and thinking about it. And I couldn't stop eating. And I would uh, uh, I like to say that my mother had a, a local television show in the 50s when I was growing up. And we were almost literally the first people on our block to get a television because of that. And so I like to say I was one of the very pioneers of eating in front of the television. Center. <laughs> and like pioneers you have to endure hardships there were only there were only 3 channels and no remote So it was tough. But, you know, (laughs) actually, if I was eating, I didn't care if I was watching the little, you know, test pattern with the uh, with the Native American on it. So uh, it wasn't about the content. It was about sitting with a TV tray and eating uh, something in front of the television because I literally just couldn't uh, stop. Uh, I would get home from school. It was a reward for having spent the day in school. And I would start eating after school and not stop until I went to sleep in some form or another. Uh, And I I, um, literally just couldn't do anything about it. Uh, I was much heavier as a kid than I ever was as an adult. I mean, enough to where people on the street would turn and stare at me. Uh, enough to where I had the humiliating experience of going to shop for clothes and being headed over to what they called husky in those days, uh, and knowing trying to put something on and having it not fit and uh, feeling awkward to this day. I don't like to shop for clothes because of the echoes of those memories. Um, that, and I'm colorblind, and my wife has to pick out the colors, or else I come home and she goes, "You didn't go out like that, did you?" <laughs> um, but The uh, I I literally never thought there was any into it. When I got to um, uh, uh, high school, a family doctor friend gave me what in uh, those days were called diet pills and today are called speed. Um, It was for people old enough tenuate dose pan and I forget the name of the other one. There was a second one, Uh, but they were basically amphetamines. And they work great in terms of killing your appetite. I was flying around the room, um, but they killed my appetite. I wasn't hungry. I'd eat like one salad a day and I lost a lot of weight uh, because I wasn't eating. Um, But an interesting thing that I never even realized till I got into program in the rearview mirror was that the whole time that I was on these pills and had no appetite, I was still thinking about food. Uh, what am I going to have for dinner? And what's it going to be like? And boy, am I doing great! And uh, you know, I don't even have a desire for this. And my head was just in a continuous loop. It's it's something that I never realized literally until program many many years later that it was the obsession kicking in that had nothing to do with the physicality. I had a friend who had one of the early bypass operations, and I saw him. A couple of months afterwards, a very large guy, and uh, he said sort of wistfully, you know, today for me, eating is a spectator sport. And I thought, you know, what a what a essence of the disease. Um, I mean, it was not about the physicality. It was not about the fact that he couldn't eat or wasn't able to. It was how how much he was mourning it and how much uh, his head was in the, the, the 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 desires and the obsession. Um, I would uh, someone pointed out to me once that uh, if you um, that it's the obsession that we're here to get away from. If you ask me why I came here day one, I would look at you like, is this a trick question? I came here because I wanted to lose weight. Uh, If you ask me today why I'm here, it's because I don't want to eat obsessively. And there's a huge difference. I, I can lose weight and be so focused on the food and white knuckling and having the food in my head continually. yet I'm losing weight. And uh, and maybe even eating healthy, but I'm not liking it. And I'm barely hanging on. Uh, on the other hand, I can be a little bit heavier, as frankly, I am today than I like to be. Um, but that I don't have the same obsession with food. I don't have the same thing taking it away from me. I was in an event last night. And um, they, they I've been to this event before and they have hors d'oeuvres that are really good and they didn't have them last night. And I'm looking around. Where are they? <laughs> and I'm talking to people and uh, and they're saying, hello, nice to see you. And I'm thinking, nice to see you. I'm, I'm saying nice to see you. I'm thinking, where are the hors d'oeuvres? Um, and I I found but but I, I knew enough to suddenly say to myself, you know, if I actually talk to them, then I won't be obsessing about the hors d'oeuvres. And miraculously, it worked (laughs) Um, if I actually got into a conversation with someone and was there and paying attention to what they were saying. The food obsession lifted and got away from it. Um, But it's not something that comes to me intuitively. Even today, after I have 17 plus years of abstinence, it still doesn't come naturally today. Every day my head has to wake up and start all over again because. The only thing that really matters is uh, the next 24 hours. Um, in fact, the more time that I have in program, the, the more cocky I get and the more I go, hey, I got this. And look at me. And, and as opposed to realizing that it only matters what I'm doing today and it only matters what I'm doing the next few hours. There's an expression. The one with the most abstinence is the one who got up the earliest this morning because it really doesn't matter how many years I have behind me. It only matters what I have in front of me. So um, to go back a bit into the history, uh, I tried these diet pills for a bit um, that that worked as long as I stayed on the diet pills naturally. And then I would gain it back uh, with a little bit extra, it's sort of like you borrow money, but you have to pay it back with interest. So every time I'd lose 10 pounds, I would come back and gain 15. Um, and this was a continuing pattern. And uh, I got a period in my life where I was able to eat healthy, no pills. I started exercising, doing it all right by the book, thinking I'm really great. And uh, I literally most of the time I'd only get, you know, six months to nine months of it. This time I got like four years. And I thought, oh, boy, I got it this time. Um, I I got the uh, I got the moves. I'm I'm doing it right. I'm not depriving myself. I'm eating foods moderately, but I'm I'm exercising. I'm taking care of myself. And I trace back to a moment with a friend of mine who's also a very big guy. uh, And we were at some um, some event and I was eating a small dessert because I did it periodically. Again, my theory was. I don't want to feel deprived. I want to do things and be as normal eater as I can. And he goes, man, as skinny as you are, you should have two desserts. And I said, yeah, <laughs> literally from that moment, the weight started coming back. I started getting cocky. And once again, I'm like one of those little cartoon characters that get banged on the head with the birds tweeting around. I'm sitting there heavier than when I started going. What the hell happened? Um, I knew about Overeaters Anonymous about 10 years before I ever came in the rooms. Uh, I had heard about it from friends. I was a little scared of it um, for reasons that I can't completely understand. I mean, I think they're the sort of obvious ones. It's it's embarrassing. It's a little humiliating. Um, I also had heard about the ninth step where you have to apologize to people. And I didn't want to do that. Uh, and I just sort of didn't come in and didn't want to. And, and veered off. I came really close. A friend of mine said, come to the meeting. And I was down to the 20 minutes before and then chickened out. Uh, but I have this recollection of lying in bed one night and feeling this gigantic stomach and going, you know what? I give up. Uh, I can't do this by myself. I, I, it, in terms of other aspects of my life, um, I've been really good at going, what's the goal and how do I get there? So I'm here. Goals there. What are the steps between? And for the most part and things that I really cared about, I was able to do it, whether it was business or school or um, even in my personal relationships. Uh, uh, because I came from a family that did not have long term marriages and uh, with with a lot of uh, outside help. I've been married 43 years now. So uh, I but and so I thought, okay, but I don't understand why I can't get this weight thing. If I can get these other things and if I can get it done, I should be able to do this. I just haven't figured out the angle. I haven't got the gimmick. I haven't got the the thing that makes it work. And every time I tried, I would end up with exactly the same result. And end up not being able to do it and sitting there, humiliated, frustrated and beating myself up and saying, what the hell happened? And how did I do this again? I got to stop. And then the next day I was back at it or an hour later. I was back at it. So I finally remember lying in bed, feeling this stomach and going, "Okay, I give up. I can't do it. I had been to a nutritionist a couple of times and I noticed that for two or three days after visiting the nutritionist, my food got better. And then it went back to to uh, the default. Um, But I thought maybe if these meetings give me two or three days and I go to some a few times a week, uh, maybe I can at least get that out of it. And then I said but I, I literally didn't know what else to do. So this was back in the 90s, before the internet. So I called the OA line, and they had this like 20-minute recording listing every meeting in town. And I just picked a newcomer meeting at random and showed up on uh, in the log cabin over on Robertson. Uh, and it was a very rainy uh, after Saturday afternoon. And it was dark and there were about eight people and I thought that uh, most of the people there were brain damaged and I was so anxious to get out of there. And this little lady, Doris, who was in her 90s at the time uh, that a lot of, you know, um, gets between me and the door, sticks her finger in my face and says, don't leave before the miracle happens. And I thought. What? (laughs) Who is this insane lady? But it was intriguing enough to think, all right, I got to give it one more chance because this meeting was not for me. Uh, This was really creepy. Uh, So I went to Serenity Sunday the next day at Roxbury Park, and it was 100 percent different. It was sunshiny. It was people laughing. It was a big meeting. It was. uh, And I thought, okay, there's something here and I don't know what it is. But I know it's something and I know that everything else I tried didn't work. So uh, this to me was sort of the last chance to see if it was possible Because see secretly somewhere inside me. Deep down, I thought you're not going to be able to do this. You're doomed. Um, You are never going to be able to have any kind of healthy relationship with food. It's just who you are. And in fact, I have a friend who's a psychiatrist who very well meaning. Um, had said to me, you know, people are just genetically programmed different. It goes back to the caveman days when the, the, the thinner people were the hunters and the gatherers and the heavier people were the ones that survived the tough winters. And um, and it's just part of, you know, uh, survival in the whole species. So basically, I didn't quite put it this way. Face it. You're a fatty and you're going to be one. Um, and I've, I've, it made sense to me. It sort of it, it lined up with all my experience, which is OK. That's the way I'm programmed. That's that's the way I'm going to end up. That's the way I'm going to have to be. Uh, I remember thinking to myself, it's a good thing I'm not single, because how do you do a pickup line that goes, hey, I can make it through a tough winter. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway the um Uh, uh, So I I literally part of me deep down thought, okay, you know, maybe other people can do it, but I can't. But you look around and it was sort of like when you first ride a bicycle, Um, you see kids in the neighborhood zipping along on two wheels. And yet I'm always falling over and banging myself up. And I thought, okay, if other people can do it, I can do it. And I saw like Natalie who'd lost 250 pounds and had it off for 300 pounds. I can't remember which uh, uh, and had it off for 20 some odd years. And I'd never seen that before. And I thought, okay, there's something here. I don't know what it is. It's intriguing. And there's something, but I need, nothing else is working. And if it's working for other people, I've always assumed what one person can do, so can somebody else. And there were enough people doing it that it wasn't like a fluke of one of these Uh, TV shows I saw about a woman who you know, changed her diet habits and put lemon instead of salad dressing and the narrator saying most people are not willing to do what she's doing. And I thought, yeah, I'm one of those. Um, But here you saw people who seem to be upbeat and happy and doing it. And and I thought there's got to be something here. Um, so it kept me coming back. Now, the, the other thing about, uh, as you may have gathered from my earlier discussion, I'm pretty goal oriented. And Serenity Sunday gives little chips. And I thought, oh, I want one of those. Um, I want the, the badge, uh, this and that. And that also kept me coming back in the beginning. Look, it was what it took to keep me doing. It had to play to my ego. It had to play to I want to be one of those. And, uh, and so I had to do it. But that's what worked for me in the beginning, because that's what got me over the gap. Um, I then picked a sponsor very scientifically. It was Michael, who was the only one who ever came up to me and said, Would you like to call me? And I said, Sure. And so we've been together literally from uh, from the first day I had a sponsor ever since. Um, And uh, it, it but I still didn't know what it was and I still didn't know what it is. And uh, I said to Michael very early on, I said, I'm a little nervous about the ninth step. And he said, you're not even on the first step. <laughs> I, said, I said, so I shouldn't worry about it. He said, well, you can if you want to. Uh, but I, I he said, and I so I trusted that by the time I got there, it, I wouldn't be so scared of it. And in fact, that's how it turned out. But I didn't know that at the time. And the whole thing was scary and the whole thing was weird. And I want to I want to understand something intellectually. That's the way my brain's wired. I want to know exactly what I'm going to do and why it works and why it's logical and how its steps build on each other. And it turns out the program for me is not that my program for me is experiential. It's not logical. It's something that I can't describe because um, uh, because uh, I had to I had to live through it. Um, it's sort of like trying to tell someone what it's like to be a compulsive overeater. The analogy I like is take someone who is blind from birth. OK, and then go tell them what the color orange looks like. And We can't do it. We have no common vocabulary. I can't tell someone who's not a compulsive overeater uh, what it's like to be obsessed with food and to overeat when you know that you're damaging yourself and to overeat when you know that you're not hungry. Um, And and I can by the same token, I don't understand uh, what compulsive gamblers are about. Uh, I mean, I'm basically blessed with one addiction, but uh, I mean, alcohol doesn't do anything for me either. Uh, I But that's just me. And uh, and so I don't understand that. And then I don't expect them to understand me because without the same obsession, we don't do it, which at the same time is what I think is what's brilliant about this program is that we can talk to each other in a way that nobody else can. That everybody in this room understands the compulsion and understands that we have it and people outside don't. Um, There was a a guy, Murray, uh, who some of you may know, wonderful man who passed away from this disease, uh, told a story about going into a restaurant with his uh, with his uh, his fiancee. Uh, who was 60 at the time. And and he kept looking over at these uh, two young college girls at another table. And she said, Are you thinking of trading me for those two 30 year olds? And uh, he said, No, I was looking at their sandwiches. (laughs) 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 And uh, I get it. Everybody here gets it. But people outside don't get it. and so, it, it, I wasn't, a, it's, it's not a disease that you can uh, understand. Five minutes? Okay. Um, it's a disease that, that for me had to be, uh, um, uh, you know, lived. And I went with Michael to the Pacific Group AA meeting, uh, and this old timer behind me says, kid, this is a million dollar program and you're going to get it a nickel at a time. And I thought that's that's really true. I mean, what I experienced today is not what I experienced in the beginning or after five years or after 10 years. It's different. Uh, it grows and it changes and it's organic. And it's also directly related to how much I put into it. It's and it, nothing in my life that was worthwhile came without a, a fair amount of effort. Uh, and this program was no different. If I don't do the deal. If I don't take the steps to do what it takes to be in the program, I don't get the recovery. I don't get the result. Uh, And as I say, it doesn't matter how much time I have. If anything, that can be a detriment because I tend to get cocky. Uh, What matters is what I'm going to do for the next 24 hours. I had a sponsor once who had a real gift for analogy, and he said, I can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. And I love that. I mean, it's it's so simple. And yet it's the truth. It really only matters what I'm going to do now and what I'm going to do over the next sometimes two or three minutes. If I'm really obsessed and I have to 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 worry about it. But if I do a few simple things, if I spend some time with the program, I get the relief for that time period. There's a there's a line in the big book about uh, Bill saying he wants the problem removed root and branch. And that struck me because. Everything else I did in my life before program worked on the symptoms it would be like, you know, taking Afrin and your nose clears up. Um, But the cold was still there Uh, here. If I you know, if I'm doing a diet, I'm working on the symptoms, but I'm not working on the disease. If I do program, I'm actually working on the disease. And I've had moments uh, where obsession literally is lifted. I don't have a desire for it. I also have times when I am craving things to the nines and I have to get help. Uh, I can't do it by myself. That's a hard thing for me to admit with my ego. Um, uh, but I can't. And I can't do it without everybody here. And I can't do it without the program. And I can't do it without living this on a regular daily basis. If I do, I get the relief. If I don't, the obsession uh, roars back, sometimes heavily, sometimes insidiously and slowly and and warming its way in. But it's always there. I suspect it's always going to be there. I don't suspect I know it's always going to be there. It's how I'm wired. It's the way that I came out. And uh, there's no shame in that any more than there's, uh, you know, shame in uh, having your appendix burst. I mean, we all have something. Um, It's just the way that things come out. Uh, And if and and so for me, I need to deal with it. If I don't deal with it, my body shows up and uh, it shows up on my body. So. um, for me, I think that uh, I'm really grateful I was able to get to the program because, as I say, somewhere deep inside, I didn't think I would ever be able to do it. Uh, I didn't think I could handle it. I was uh, talking earlier about getting the little, um, you know, um, chips at the Roxbury meeting. And when I walked up to the get a 60 day chip, something occurred to me that I hadn't noticed before. And that was the following. Um, it was easier for me to notice something that's happening to me rather than something that's not. And uh, when I went up to the 60 day chips I realized something that wasn't happening. And that was every diet I've had felt like a spring winding up inside me. Every diet I had felt like I was imprisoned, that I couldn't wait to get back to the food once I got to a normal body weight, that it was tighter and tighter and it would literally explode. And I would go out and start eating massively to make up for lost time. And the first time in my entire life that I lost any weight and didn't feel the spring wind up was when I got that 60 day chip. And I realized there's something very, very different going on here. As I said earlier, it's the treatment of the disease, not the symptom. And that is the key to me. And oddly, sometimes the treatment of the disease has nothing to do with the symptom. I mean, if, if I can get out of my head, if I can get into helping other people, if I can get into like last night talking to someone and really listening to them and really engaging with them as opposed to it, I can get released from the food. It doesn't seem like it has anything to do with it. But for me, it does. Um, it's it's a matter of getting out of my own way, getting out of my own head and finding a way to get past with some kind of serenity. Uh, this obsession that lives inside me and will always live inside of me. Um, and so I, I'm very, very grateful for the program. I'm very grateful that uh, that, that it's here. Uh, I'm grateful that I found it. Um, it, it. I'm a little sorry I got it later in life, but there's nothing I could do about that. I mean, it happened when it was supposed to. All right. So uh, thank you today for letting me share. Uh, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, all right. Questions? Yes, Keith. Uh, thanks so much. It was a great treat always with Say you're going into a uh, one of those meetings where you, you know those hors d'oeuvres are there and you know you like them. Um, what's the mindset? What's the last always tool that you bring to the bear that's going to make it so that when you need you're not beating yourself up and you have over you? Okay, the question is, if I'm going into a situation where there's hors d'oeuvres that I know are going to trigger me, uh, what? How do I handle it? And uh, uh, the answer is I if I know in advance I, ha- I have the opportunity to come up with a strategy and uh, the strategy can be one of several uh, one is stay the hell away from the place where the hors d'oeuvres are that that often works. That's not always possible. Uh, The other one is, uh, first of all, to talk about it and think about it openly. And the other is to uh, talk to people. Uh, In other words, if I can get engaged in a conversation and really be in the conversation, not just my mouth moving while my head's on the hors d'oeuvres, that makes a big difference to me. And prayer helps, Uh, you know, asking God for some help ahead of time. Uh, and also committing to my sponsor, I'm not going to eat the hors d'oeuvres tonight. Uh, it's uh, something like that would help as well. Those I think are the techniques I use. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the journey was step three. Uh, I did not have a problem with God. Um, I was raised uh, not particularly religiously, but very spiritually. My mother was very spiritual and talked a lot about God being in my life, but I had disconnected from it. Uh, and so uh, getting to the program uh, was a nice uh, coming home. Oh, yeah, this just used to be a part of my life, but it's a part of my life now. Um, I do remember in uh, reading the big book the first time where it said we decided to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. I wrote, ooh, <laughs> because um, I wasn't quite necessarily ready to do that. It's it's still uh, somewhat of a struggle on a daily basis. I tend to want to, uh, as, as Michael once put it, give it away and then take it back again. Um, so, but if I but I find that if I do, if I can turn uh, whatever's happening, over to a higher power and understand that, you know, I'm not in charge of things. And as much as I want to control it and fix it, this one I've got to let go on a daily basis. I'm, I'm pretty good at doing that. But my head goes back to you should be in control. So I had a great line. Uh, we're like nine billion ants floating on a log downstream. And every one of us thinks we're steering. <laughs> yes. OK, question is, there's no shame in the disease. And what do I do? when I'm feeling ashamed there's a difference. I can feel ashamed of my body. I can feel ashamed of the fact that I'm a pig and I can feel ashamed of the fact that I uh, that, that I'm, I'm out of control. But I don't think there's a shame in having the disease because it's something I was born with, I believe. Uh, and so any more than someone who's born with diabetes, uh, I mean, it's just the way that I am. And uh, yes, society, it makes it harder because society does put a certain amount of shame around this. They think that we're gluttons that, that can't control ourselves and they don't understand um, why we can't control ourselves. I remember a, a coach in in uh, literally grammar school saying, kid, you got to do pushaways. I said, what are those? He said, push away from the table. And I'm thinking in retrospect, spoken like a truth thin person, right? <laughs> uh, if I could do that, I wouldn't need to worry about it. Um, it, it takes it takes some work. It takes uh, the, the fact is there's certainly no shame in this room because all of us have the same disease in one form or another. And there's nothing to be ashamed about uh, in terms of society. It takes a little longer, but it's it's uh, it's a continuous process. Uh, it's a matter of if you're feeling it, being honest about it, talking to my sponsor about it, talking to others about it. And it gets less and less shameful the more I deal with it and the more I talk about it and the more open I am. Uh, the little hobgoblins in my brain are very scary when they're in the dark recesses. When I pull them out into the sunlight, they're relatively small and shriveled. So for me, the key is not not holding things back and not keeping those things dark and hoping that if I keep it inside, it'll go away because to me it just grows. Yes. Oh, what's the most significant thing the program has given me? I think it's I think it's an inner serenity. If you knew me when I first got here, uh, I would have looked perfectly calm on the outside, but I wasn't. Uh, after a few years in program, I felt much calmer on the inside and it came closer to matching my outside because the outside was more just sort of holding it at bay and keeping the anxieties. The, the more I stay in program, the more the anxieties genuinely begin to dissipate and the more open I become to others. That's another one is my my default is selfishness. My default. When I came into program, it was how much can I get out of it? How fast can I get it? And how quick can I get out of here? Because it was all about me wanting to get the most. And, and in fact, with other things in my life, um, I would go uh, I, I want to learn it. I got it. Got it. I'm going to master it. And then I'm going to move on because I'm a serial obsessive with both hobbies and things like that. Uh, So that's what I wanted to do here. And it turns out that um, the the program just keeps giving. And the more I'm into it, it's not a graduation program. It's one that that continues to give me a lot. And I think that was a big change in attitude, which is uh, getting outside myself, a bit of serenity, a lot of serenity that I get from the program and the fact that I need to contribute to the program to keep it going and to keep myself in a good space. Yes. (laughs) Well, the daily shower is uh, is much smaller now that we're in a drought. (laughs) Uh, The question is, what's my daily routine? Um, I read uh, for today when I get up in the morning, I keep my glasses on it beside the bed so I don't forget. Um, there's someone I call that, that uh, we read from the big book, although that's gotten a little less regular just because she hasn't been as available. Um, I call my sponsor on an almost uh, mostly daily basis. Um, I write I write a 10th step, which is the um, I do the A E I O U that I could go through if anybody wants to know. Um, and, uh, you know, I talk to the sponsees um, and uh, let's see, I think that's that's most of it. Yes? Another angle to the shame question. Um, do you ever feel shame when your character defects challenges come up? Um, and what do you do? Uh, the question is do I feel shame when character defects come up, and what do I do? Um, I think I feel more annoyance than shame. I think I feel a little bit more uh, exasperated with myself that that I've let one of those defects get in the way. Uh, um, I don't feel as much shame around them. And as you're saying it, it's that could be something that's come after several years, a number of years of program, because certainly in the beginning, I was ashamed even to walk in the room. Uh, I was embarrassed and, and ashamed. I don't feel as much of that anymore. Um, I mean, certainly there's times I feel ashamed, but, uh, but I don't think around the character defects. Um, I think it's more that I'm, I'm just sort of annoyed with them and, uh, and and that, you know, it reminds me I have to do it. But again, if I talk about it to somebody, it dissipates uh, enormously the emotions that I'm feeling about it because my my tendency is uh, and I didn't mention this earlier, but about a year in the program, I started gaining weight. And my initial reaction was, don't tell anybody, you gotta be the poster boy for OA, you're a great story, and you gotta be the trophy. And I thought, This is really stupid. It's exactly the opposite of what I should be doing. I should be telling everybody that I'm struggling and that way I can get some help. And it immediately took away the the shame and the, the hard feelings. Because it was like, and by the way, nobody cared. I mean, uh, uh, one of the nice things about my being self-centered is I don't care as much about other people and they don't care as much about me. So most of us here are to recover for ourselves. And uh, and uh, or what was the other great thing I heard? Don't tell anybody your problems. Eighty five percent of the people don't care. And the other 15 percent are glad you have them. <laughs> but I don't think that applies to your sponsor. <laughs> Um, it, it, to me, it's, it's getting it outside myself. It's not keeping it inside and letting it grow in the dark and fester and, and increase. Yes. Thanks. Um, can we talked about uh, getting through the eighth and ninth step in the process? Sure. The, the question is getting through the eighth and ninth step. It was, um, it was not simple. Uh, it was difficult for me. Um, it, I, most of them went just fine. Uh, the one I was, one of the ones I was most scared of was an amends I had to make to my father for a rather nasty letter I'd written him, uh, when I was in graduate school. And I sat down with him, uh, and, you know, said, I'm really sorry about this. And he said, Well, one of the great things about old age is I have absolutely no recollection of what you're talking about. <laughs> so that was a non-event. Others that I thought, <laughs> uh, other than in my head where I'd played it out a bunch of times, others were, were more difficult in surprising ways. Um, But, you know, I just stayed in touch with Michael the whole time and went through it together and knew that, you know, this I was doing this for me, not for them. I mean, I was doing it because it was the right thing to do for them. But primarily it was for me and I can't control how they react to it. I can only control what I do and how I react to it, which I can't even completely control that. But um, I I had to keep the focus on I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do and because it's going to help my recovery, which it did. It was very it felt wonderful when I finished with it and it felt very clean and it felt uh, a sense of release that I I don't get or hadn't gotten in any other way in my life. So um, it was it was a little scary, but so were a lot of things. And once you get through them, they're not so scary. Yeah. What was your abstinence in the beginning, and what is it now? Okay, what's my abstinence in the beginning? It hasn't changed. My uh, food plan has changed. But my abstinence hasn't. Uh, my basic abstinence is three meals a day and an occasional snack. Uh, that's it. Um, my food plan in the beginning, when I'm in a weight losing mode, of course, was to cut out the normal sort of desserts and uh, you know breads and pastas and things that make sense. But my, I basically eat all foods in moderation. Um, if something begins to get to be a problem, I have to draw a circle around it and be honest about it. Uh, and uh, I know there are certain foods that are more of a trigger for me. I'm not a particularly sweet guy. I go face down and salty stuff. Um, but I, uh, I just have to keep an eye on it and stay honest and stay uh, and stay clean about it. Yep. Thanks very much. As somebody with a big light outside the rooms, have you ever been aware of with your anonymity in order to 12 step Friend or acquaintance. OK, question is, uh, with a life outside the rooms, am I ever aware of breaking anonymity to 12 step uh, a friend? Uh, I have never been anonymous, particularly. I'll talk to anybody who wants to know uh, anybody who asked me. In the beginning, I got more because I had gone through a dramatic weight loss. So people were going, how'd you do it? And I had a chance to 12 step them. Uh, now that I've been at, the, you know, roughly the same weight for a, a little heavier now, as I said earlier, but at, at, a, at a relatively normal body weight for a number of years, people don't think about it or ask me as much. But if I can work it into a conversation, I'm completely unanonymous. Uh, I, I, I have no problem doing it. Five more minutes. Other questions? Carol. Um, thanks for your share. Uh, can you... Um can you tell us about maybe the, one of the most challenging situations you've had to deal with in your 17 years and what, what tools you found most helpful and whether it shook your faith at all? Okay. The question is what kind of challenging situation, most challenging situation in 17 years, whether it shook my faith. Are you are you talking about a food challenge or are you talking about just a challenge in life or a, a life challenge? A life challenge. Um, well, I've been through losing both my parents in program. Um, The uh, and losing my mom was was who I was particularly close to. They were separated. I wasn't as close to my father, but uh, it was a really, really difficult experience. Um, But I I don't think it uh, challenged my faith. I mean, I, uh, I, by the way, the way I'm wired when I get depressed, I don't eat. Uh, And when the when the the, pressure is off, I do. Uh, so I'm more of a celebratory eater than I am somebody who drowns depression in food. So in that sense, uh, I don't I don't know that uh, it, it it works. I, I was able to get through it. Um, I mean, I did stay in touch with program because I was very aware that wh- what happens is people bring food when somebody dies uh, and my default again is to take comfort in it. Um, but I've you know, I've certainly learned intellectually, if not com- emotionally, that that it's a short term comfort and ends up with creating another problem and a longer term pain. Um, but that, of course, doesn't always compute inside my head. Uh, so I think that was probably it. But uh, but it wasn't a challenge to the program so much as just a challenge in life. Did you find yourself using program tools to get your Yeah. Did I use program tools to get through? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because uh, um, yes. It's a short answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tom, for your share. Have you ever come across a time in your uh, program where you just find yourself unwilling to take the next indicated step? And if that's so, what do you do at that point? Okay. The question is, did I find myself unwilling to take the next step, and what did I do? Are you talking about the step and step work, no, or are you talking whatever, about whatever Didn't want to do it. Yeah. So um, I'm sure it has. Uh, I'm not sure I'm coming up with anything at the moment, but I can certainly be capable of procrastinating things or not wanting to do something and hoping that it goes away. Uh, it depends on what it is. I mean, if it's something that's unavoidable in life, then I have to do it. I don't have a, a choice. If it's something I can postpone on occasion, I do. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I don't want it to get in the way of program and I don't want it to get in the way of my serenity. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm usually pretty good about doing things, taking medicine if I don't want to, um, just because, again, that's the way I'm wired. I've always been that way. So I haven't had a huge problem, I haven't had a problem with any major, you know, little things here and there. Uh, but for the most part, that hasn't been much of an issue. Yes. Um, how do you know what's your will and God's, God's will for you. Like, how do you? How do you sort of navigate that? Um, maybe example, like example Sure. How do I know whether it's my will or God's will? Well, uh, my mom had a great expression. As I said earlier, she was very spiritual. She said, God doesn't let you make a mistake. If you're trying really hard to do something and you're not getting it, it's not right for you. And for the most part, that's been true in my life. If, I mean, if I'm really trying and pushing something and it's not happening and it's not right, Uh, I find out later it's not right for me. Maybe it's five years later. I'll go, oh, I see why that had to happen or I wouldn't have had this. Um, And sort of knowing that gives me a little bit of comfort around it. Um, You know, it's uh, there's a thing in the big book about we begin to intuit things. And that works for me. Uh, I mean, if I'm really confused about what to do and I can sort of let it go and relax and take a few breaths and turn it over, the answer kind of floats up like one of those little eight balls, you know. (laughs) Other questions? So yes. Can you talk about the, the, the beauty of having somebody in your family um, also sharing the program? And then the frustration of maybe having people in the family that aren't necessarily, you know, not control of any of it, but you know yeah. Yeah. The question is, what's it like having someone else in the family who is in program and other people in the family who aren't in program? Well, it's wonderful. I, my, my son's in program. So that's what he's talking about. But it's wonderful having my son in program. I mean, we uh, it's a great thing to share. It's uh, he inspires me. I inspire him. We, we, we work it together. Um, having people not in program is a little uh, can be frustrating, but I have no control over it. And uh, and it's only something that I can do by example. All right, so I think the time is up.